today we're talking about grace. Grace is one of the most fundamental things for us as followers of Jesus. It's one of the, the first things we learn. And if you've been through Mike's Discover class, he's tried to attempt to make you memorize Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from your works so that no one can boast. And so we understand grace. We get grace. But I think it's also something that we could spend an entire lifetime plumbing the depths of and still not really fully understand what grace is. Please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace made evident in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we uh, think about it a little bit this morning, we ask that you would help us to better grasp the grace that is ours in Jesus, that that amazing grace may be unleashed on us and in our world. This we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Anybody familiar with uh, Protestant work ethic? This is kind of question-answer, audience response time, so like raise your hands if you're familiar with the idea of the Protestant work ethic. Anybody out there? There's a couple people. Some people just are shy, and so they're not doing anything. But Protestant work ethic, I grew up with it. Uh, you work hard, and part of the Protestant work ethic was hard work, discipline, and frugality. Kind of nose to the grindstone and work, work, work. And you work when, or you rest when, when all the work is done. And honestly, as I look at my life now, if that's the way I were to live, I'd never rest. And so to some degree, that just doesn't work. And there's also more going on there with that. You see, it came out of this idea that um, those who were predestined were elect, were, were chosen to God, but you couldn't know who those were. And so how did you figure that out? Well, you looked at a person's life. And so a person was elect by the way they lived, and so people would work to try and prove that they had received grace. And it was this never-ending treadmill of trying to prove to myself and to the world that I am indeed a recipient of God's good grace. And yet that's not how God's designed us. I think that's part of our broken humanity, but it's not how God designed us. Do we rest from work or do we work from rest? See, God's design was that we work from rest because what was man's first day? What was Adam and Eve's first day? Question, answer. Sabbath, that was their first day. God does his work and then he rests. And yet on the flip side of it, man is created and the first thing he does is get to work. No, he rests. He works from that rest, from that wellspring of rest, and that's the way that God has designed us. And without that, it's kind of like trying to accomplish something, trying to do something, trying to grow something in a desert. We have a beautiful picture 
of God's grace and what it does. And our reading today from Isaiah um, chapter 35. But first I want to talk a little bit about the desert. And if I could get the slideshow up here and get that picture, that would be awesome. Um, There we go. Brego Springs, anybody familiar with it? It's one of, in my mind, one of the most God-forsaken places on the planet. I remember driving out there when I was vicaring in El Cajon, and it's more God-forsaken than El Cajon, which is hot and dusty and dry. This is worse. And I remember driving out there like an hour and a half, and I'm driving out there at like 7 in the morning for an 8 o'clock church service, and I'm thinking, how is it 110 degrees at 7 o'clock in the morning? Oh my gosh! And I was driving out there in my Oldsmobile Intrigue, 98 Oldsmobile Intrigue with 210,000 miles, air conditioners broken, but it had the 3800 series engine. If you're from Detroit, you know what that's about. And I'm driving out there, I'm thinking, how is it this hot? And how is it this miserable? And it just looks dead. And the truth about the desert is nothing wants you to be there. There are people that like cactuses. I'm not among them. And you're driving out there and you're thinking, what is this? Why would anybody but he live out here that's just dead and barren? Because everything in the desert either burns, bites, or stings. Nothing wants you to be there. Right? You gotta be like that if you're gonna survive in the desert. Nasty and gross. And so we have our reading from Isaiah chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus that will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon that will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand, see burning, uh, will become a pool. Thirsty ground, bubbling springs, and the haunts where jackals once lie. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will be not found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Water comes on the desert. And when water comes on the desert, you see one of the most beautiful things, because I went back out to Borrego Springs, and I can't take credit for these pictures, but it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I want to share a couple of those pictures now. But it just blows up with vibrant color. We can see the next one. That's the Akatio cactus. Absolutely gorgeous. And it just is amazing to see God's beautiful creation and how life springs forth in a place that was once dead and dry and desolate. And there we see a picture of God's grace. 
what God's grace is intended to do in our hearts and our lives and our world. Bring life. Bring forgiveness and life and abundance and beauty. But let's think about that for a moment. What can the desert do to make it rain? Nothing. It's given by the grace of God. And the same is true for grace for us. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it, to, to make it come upon us, to make it fall upon us. Rather, God sends his grace on us, not by anything that we've done, but fully by his power, by his goodness. And of course, this picture here in Isaiah chapter 35 is painting a picture of, of God's ultimate design, God's ultimate future, but I believe that it's also a picture for how God wants our lives to look now, how God wants us to live now as his people for that grace to flow into our lives and to free us and bring life where there once was death and barrenness. Anybody out there living in a place of unforgiveness? Uh, not asking for audience participation at this point in time. Um, but it's like that. It's like the desert. There's nothing comfortable about it. Everything stings, bites, and burns. And if you're the person that offended someone, there's nothing that you can do to make it right. You have no control. You have no power. You have to wait on grace. You have to wait on that forgiveness. You have to wait on that forgiveness that comes not from anything that you can do, but comes from outside of you. And so the question that I have for you this morning, is there someone in your life? Is there someone in your life that, that, that needs the grace that only you can give them? See, see, God has released his amazing grace on us and his son Jesus. But then we're also called as followers of Jesus to unleash that amazing grace on the people that God has placed in our lives. And the thing about grace is that, that grace always has a cost. As Christians, we talk about uh, the importance of being grace-filled people, of forgiving others. But it's more complicated than that because there's another part of it that we don't often think about. And that's the fact that grace always has a cost. Grace always has a cost. And the thing is, is that you can't pay it. The person that is forgiving you. The person that is having grace on you is the one that has to pay the price. They have to pay the price of the wrong, of their affected ego, of the things that have been done wrong to them. They're the ones that are called to pay the price. See, that's what God so freely and graciously did for us in Jesus Christ. He looked down at us and he had grace on us. He saw the cost. The cost of what it would take to redeem us, to restore us into relationship, to bring life where there was death and barrenness in a world that was stinging and biting and burning. And he sends his son Jesus to bear the cost. 
And you see, the thing is, we can't pay it. Maybe you've been there. I know that I've been there, and I've done something wrong. And I've looked at what I've done. I've thought about wanting to pay the cost. And then realized that I can't. That I have to rely on the person that I've wronged to pay the cost and forgive me. See, that's how it is with God. From Titus chapter 2. God says these words, For grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You say, well, why, why is that? Why, why does grace cause that response in us? Because if it's grace, then we can do what we want because God forgives us. But what we realize with grace is that there's always a cost to be paid. And everything that we do is a price that must be paid by Jesus for you and for me. And so as we see that cost, we say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that thing that breaks my relationships, that breaks God's good creation, that is a cost to my Savior. And so seeing His grace freely given, we are motivated to live in that grace. Then the thing is that God means to unleash that grace. His amazing grace on the world through us. God means to unleash his amazing grace on the world through us. And we see the perfect example of that in John chapter 20 where where Jesus reinstates Peter. When they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you are stretched out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus is doing so much more than, than at first meets the eye. Uh, on one level, we look at it and we say, well, well, Peter denied Jesus three times, so Jesus is reinstating Peter three times. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Jesus wipes the slate clean with Peter and reinstates Peter and trusts him. Jesus is trusting him with the mission of God even though he knows that Peter is going to mess it up. And so the same is true for us, that even though God knows that we are going to mess up his mission, God looks at us and trusts us with his mission. And he says to Peter as he says to us, follow me. And he invites us into doing what he has done and doing what he is doing in the world. 
to follow in his footsteps and be grace in action to a world that needs it. God has given us his amazing grace in his son Jesus, restoring us in relationship with him, bringing life where everything was stinging, burning, and biting, giving us life and forgiveness. And he invites us to be grace in a world that needs it. Be grace in action to a world that needs it and is hungry for it. Amen.